Thank you, Patrick. And the message is true. We need mercy. So if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, turn with our, our passage from the book of Jeremiah chapter 8. The book of Jeremiah chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading with verse 4. We're going to look at most of the chapter this morning. But Jeremiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 4. While you're turning there this summer, we're studying the life of Jeremiah. Uh, this book is a difficult book. I said this last week. It's difficult because, number one, it's not in chronological order. Uh, secondly, it's not, in, it's not based upon themes. It's kind of hard to figure out what's being done at certain places. It's also difficult because of the message. The message is this. God is going to bring judgment on Judah. God is going to bring judgment. The Babylonians are going to come and destroy Jerusalem. They're going, to, they're going to destroy the temple. They're going to take the people in captivity. And Jeremiah is preaching that message. If they would repent, destruction wouldn't come. And for 40 years, no one listened. And so in chapter 8, we find Jeremiah again talking to the people. Look at verse 4. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, do men fall and not get up again? Does one turn away and not repent? Why then has the people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have listened and heard. They have spoken what is not right. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his course like a horse charging into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons, and the turtle dove and the swift and the thrush Observe their time of their migration. But my people do not know the ordinance of the Lord. Look over in verse 19. My sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Behold, listen. The cry of the daughter of my people from distant land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not within her? Why have they provoked me with their graven images, with their far, foreign idols? Harvest is past. Summer is ended. And we are not saved. The brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken. I mourn, dismayed, has taken hold of me. Is there not a bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Pray with me. Father, as we look at this passage, we admit it's a very difficult passage. But Father, we ask you to help us to understand it, not only from the from the uh, the history of it, the father of the modern message of it, as you continually tell us to repent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, I was in Houston, Texas, and I saw a wreck. More than that, not only did I witness it, I saw it develop. I was at an intersection. I saw this car driving fast toward the red light. It turned yellow, and I realized he is not going to stop. On the other side, coming the other direction, there was a car not slowing down because he realized that the light's going to turn green, and I don't have to slow down. And I am watching this as two cars, one not going to stop, the other couldn't stop. And I didn't know what to do, so I began to blow my horn, trying to get their attention. I don't know if they didn't hear me. I don't know. No one listened. And sure enough, there was a wreck right in front of me. Now, no one was seriously injured, but both cars were totaled. But I remember that moment as I'm watching this event develop. And I still remember the emotions I was going through. I saw it happening, and I couldn't stop it. I was doing everything in my power to do something, and nothing 
happened. And what happened was I took it personal. For the next few days, the next few weeks, I kept thinking about that situation. What could I have done different? Well, in the book of Jeremiah, God has shown Jeremiah what was going to happen. The people are going to be destroyed. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to take over Jerusalem. They're going to take the people in captivity. If the people repented, this would not happen. And so Jeremiah is preaching and preaching for 40 years, telling the people, you need to repent. And no one listens. In fact, they got mad at Jeremiah. For 40 years, he told them what was going to happen in Judah. Now, they had a good king, King Josiah. Remember, it was Jeremiah's father who found the word of God in the temple. Josiah brought the word of God back into the temple. The people went back to the temple. Josiah made reforms, but then Josiah was killed in a battle. And then they began to spiral out of control again. And they became stuck in their sins, and they couldn't get out of it. In the summer of 1988, Ben Patterson, along with three of his other friends, wanted to climb Mount Lyell, the highest peak in Yosemite National Park. Two of the men were professional climbers. Two were not. Ben Patterson was not. And it was a very difficult climb because the glacier they had across, they, two experienced mountain climbers went ahead showing them the path to take. Ben Patterson, for whatever reason, decided he knew better. He decided he was going to find a shortcut to the top. And on his right, he said there was a, this outcropping of a rock. So he, despite the warnings, despite the direction that was given to him, he went the other direction. The guys went one way, he went another. And within 30 minutes, he was facing a life and death situation. He found himself in what he describes as a cul-de-sac of a rock near the Lyle Glacier. He looked down to see hundreds of yards of sheer ice. It was at 45-degree angle. He realized if he moved, he was going to fall. If he didn't, he didn't know what was going to happen. And so he was stuck. He couldn't move. The experienced guides found out he was gone. They had to look for him. Within an hour, they found him, and they told him what to do. They said, if you listen to us and do exactly what we tell you, you can get out of this situation. There's safety within 10 feet. But as you step across, you cannot lean into the mountain. You have to lean out a bit, which is the opposite of what you want to do. If you don't do that, you're going to fall. So here's the story. Here's Patterson. He took a shortcut. He got stuck. He needed someone to tell him how to be saved, even though it made no sense to him. Well, in the book of Jeremiah, we find Jer uh, Judah, they took a shortcut. They got stuck. They faced a dangerous situation. They needed someone to tell them how to be saved, and what they heard made no sense because Jeremiah said, you need to repent and turn back to God. And so in chapter 8, Je Judah is in a mess. And Jeremiah is preaching. We learn in chapter 7 that he's in front of the temple preaching. Chapter 7, he's talking about their worship. Chapter 8, he's going to talk about their repentance and how they are to come back. He's telling them what they are to do. Now, they're not listening because Babylon is coming. And Jeremiah is saying, you need to repent and trust God and let God fight your battles. Let me put it this way. Imagine tomorrow, Russia declares war in the United States. And someone says, if we're going to win the war, we have to lay down all our nuclear weapons, lay down all our weapons, and trust God. 
How do you think that message is going to play? How do you think people are going to respond to that? Russia's declared war. So here's the solution. Let's lay down all our weapons and trust God. That is what Jeremiah is saying. You need to trust God and don't rely upon these other nations. And you need to repent because you are in rebellion. And so that is the message about this rebellion that they are having. You need to come to God. So this morning, I want to look at three things. First of all, notice, when we rebel against God, God calls for repentance. When we rebel against God, God calls for repentance. Back in verse 1, he begins to describe everything that's going to happen. You can go back and read it later this day, but in verse 1, he says, your leaders are going to die. In verse 2, he says, you're going to call out to your idols, your foreign gods, and they're not going to be able to help you. In verse 3, he said, you're going to choose death over life. And by the way, that's exactly what happened because what the Babylonians did, they surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They wouldn't let food come in, and the people literally starved to death, and they chose to die rather than surrender. And during this time, in verse 5, God asked this, why then has the people of Jerusalem turned away in continual hypostasy? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. Why are they doing this? They have refused to return. Three times in this verse, he, he mentions that, that word in the Hebrew, shub, is the idea of repentance. It means to turn. Jeremiah uses the word repentance more than any other man in the Bible. Jeremiah preached on repentance more than any person in the Bible. And all repentance is, is turning your direction. So if you're walking this way and you repent, it means you turn and you go the other way. And so the people of Judah are walking away from God, and to repent means they are to turn and walk back to God. That is what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying you are in rebellion, and God is calling for repentance. All you need to do is just turn from your sins and turn to God. By the way, this is the message throughout the Bible. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return. That word return means repent. Book of Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 31. Cast away all your transgressions, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. That famous passage in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. By the way, that, that's the word, repent. God says, you need to repent. You need to turn from where you're headed and come back. Satan would do anything in his power to get you from not repenting. Satan does not want you to repent. He will convince you, try to convince you not to. You see... We look at ourselves like we're in a movie or some reality TV show. I mean, sometimes we, we wake up, we go through the motions, and, and like a camera is on us. Like, this is not really us. We're going through the motions, not realizing the reality that's out there. There's a British novelist named Dave Lodge. He wrote a play. He was watching the play one time on November 22, 1963. In the play, one of the characters come into, on the stage, and he turns on the radio. Now, what they did in the, that, during that play, they would literally turn on the radio and play music in the background as they performed the play. But on this day, something different happened. They turned on the radio, and they were about to continue the play when the radio announcer announced the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And everyone in the audience gasped. 
And all of a sudden, they didn't really care about the play. One, one of the actors ran to turn off the radio, but he was too late. And even the actors stopped where they were and just looked at the radio, listening to the account of the assassination of the president of the United States. All of a sudden, what took place on the stage was not fun or funny or entertaining. All of a sudden, the reality of their situation came to light. God is trying to get our attention to the reality of our situation. We get up, we go to our jobs, we do our, whatever we do every day, and we forget the reality that God is calling us to him, and God is calling us to repent. Secondly, when we rebel against God, not repenting is irrational. When we rebel against God, not repenting is irrational. God says through Jeremiah, this makes no sense. This is so irrational. He asks some questions. Look look at verse 4. He says, do men fall and not get up again? Does one turn away and not repent? He says, this makes no sense. If you fall down, guess what you do? You get up. If you fall down, isn't that what you do? You you get up. If you have a toddler and the toddler falls down, you, you help the toddler up. It's what we do in life. Ever try to teach someone to ride a bicycle? You're going to fall. you got to get up. Our two children learned to ride the bikes differently. Our son James, he didn't like to fall. And so when he fell, he just decided, I'm going to take a break. And the break may have lasted five minutes, an hour, a day or two. We don't know. He just didn't like falling. But he knew, I have to get back on the bike. Our daughter Jenna was different. We showed her the technique. We went back in the house. About 45 minutes later, she comes in. Her knees are bleeding. Her hands are skinned. And she says, I can ride a bike. Both of them use the same technique. You're going to fall, but you got to get up. And God is saying, I don't understand this. It's a principle of life. If you fall, you get back up. And the second part of that verse, he says, does one not turn away and not repent? That's not a spiritual question there. What he's saying is, when you leave your house, do you not return? Do you not come back to your house? It's just a principle. How then can my people not return to me? I mean, it's a principle. You, you go and you return. My people have gone. They should come back. This is irrational. He says how irrational it is in verse 6. God says, I have listened and heard. They have spoken what is not right. No man repented of his wickedness saying, what have I done? God says, don't you realize I'm telling you your sins. I'm telling you what's wrong. And your answer is, what have I done? Not my fault. He said, that's your response. Not my fault. I lied, but hey, not my fault. What have I done wrong? I just lied. I stole. Hey, it's not my fault. What did I do wrong? I, I, I betrayed, betrayed you, God. What have I done wrong? And God says, as long as you're asking that question, what have I done wrong? If you don't admit your sin, you're not going to come back. And the people of Judah, that's what they were saying. What we've done is not that bad. Hey, we're worshiping God. We're just doing whatever we want to during the week. Verse 6, he says, like a horse charging into battle. There's a powerful image there. He said, the people of Judah, what they were doing, not only were they not turning away from their sins, they were running toward their sins like a horse trained to go into battle. A horse doesn't naturally charge into battle. You have to train that horse to charge into battle. And once you take the reins, it will go. He says, you're doing the same thing. You are not going away from your sins. You are charging into your sins. This makes no sense. This is irrational. Well, he asks the second question, verse 7. 
or makes a comment. He said, even the stork in the sky knows her season, and the turtle dove and the swift and the thrush observe their time of their migration. But my people do not know the ordinance of the Lord. The question is implied here. The question is, don't the animals even know where they belong? Jeremiah is looking at some of the birds, and he says, these birds, they're migratory birds, and they know when to go, when to come back. They know their seasons. That's what they do. And God says, it's abnormal. It's irrational for my people not to know the seasons, not to know it's time to return. I've got to admit, I'm fascinated by animals. I'm fascinated by birds. I'm not really a bird watcher, but I'm fascinated by birds and and learning about them. I I read recently about the red knot. The red knot is a sandpiper. It's found along the coast of the Carolinas. This bird, every year, flies 18,000 miles round trip. It's amazing to me. I mean, they start off the coast of Argentina, north of Brazil. They fly nonstop over the Atlantic. They come to the Carolina area, where it's called Delaware, Delaware Bay. And, and the exact time the horseshoe crabs are laying their eggs, and every red knot will eat 135,000 horseshoe crab legs. Uh, crab legs, crab eggs. <laughs> this is called the Freudian slip. I'm hungry. <laughs> then they fly north to Canada and they lay four eggs, four speckled eggs. So by mid-July, the mother will leave the male after the eggs are hatched. The mother will leave the male to stay with the, the children. And like most fathers, they only can take about a week of this. <laughs> and then they fly south. And then those four baby birds... As they grow up, they will fly to Argentina without a GPS, without ways. Without, I mean, just, they just know. They instinctively know when to return. And God says, the animals know what to do. How come my people don't know? Third, when we rebel against God and not repent, judgment will come. When we rebel against God and not repent, judgment will come. In verse 16 through 19, he, he describes this judgment. It's a scary description of the war horses that are coming from Babylon. But verse 20 is the scary verse. Look at verse 20. Harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. God has given you the opportunity to repent, and the opportunity's gone. It's too late. Jeremiah's been preaching, repent, and no one listens. Jeremiah says, repent, and they refuse to repent. And then one day they wake up, and they're surrounded by the Babylonian army, and they fail. That's a scary verse, because what it's saying is, there is a date when it's too late. There's a date when it's too late. Now, I know, that, I know there are people who believe our nation will never fall, but that's exactly what Judah said. And I know there are people who say, well, one, that particular church will never fall. Well, that's what Judah said. Oh, there are people, oh, I know that particular person. Oh, I'll, I'll never fall. God won't let anything happen to me. That's exactly what Judah said. But when judgment comes, 
it's too late. Verse 22. Jeremiah says, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Now, they knew what he meant. In in Gilead, there was a a medicine, a rare medicine produced from a, a tree. Had incredible healing powers, and people knew about it in the ancient world. And, and Jeremiah said, is, is there not a bomb in Gilead that could help us? But Jeremiah is not asking the question, is there a bomb in Gilead? There is a bomb in Gilead. The question he was asking, would you take it if you could? Would you take the medicine that you need? The problem was not that there was no cure. The problem was there was no concern. The people only had callousness on their hearts. And Jeremiah said, is there not a bomb that you could annoy, but you don't even care. What about us? What about our nation? There is no medicine for our sickness in our nation. Our sickness is called sin. There's no legislative act that will bring down the false idols. There's no world leader who will open the eyes of people's eyes. There's no public service announcement that will change the hearts of men. But there is a cure. There is a cure for what's wrong with our nation. There is a cure for what's wrong with us. There is a cure for our sin problem. I love what one man said. This is how he writes it. Talking about the bomb of Gilead. He said, we have another cure. Our cure comes from a single tree planted only once outside the walls of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha. A tree without roots, watered briefly for eternity with blood that dripped on the side of the sacrificial lamb. A tree that stood for only a few hours. A tree that offered no shade, harbored no nest, waved in no breeze, and produced only one piece of fruit, the saving grace of our God. Jesus is the answer and the cure, and our nation needs to repent and come to Jesus. Jeremiah, for 40 years, said judgment is coming. And no one listened. God has warned all of us, if we don't repent individually, judgment is coming. And there's a date when it's going to be too late. William Campbell and Sasuchi Omura in 2015 won the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine. Kind of interesting what they wanted it for. They, it was the discovery in the 1970s of a special class of drugs that that would fight the two most vicious tropical diseases of the time. As I was reading about it, what fascinated me, fascinated me was this. They won a prize for the, for the drug, but the disease still exists. The disease still affects hundreds of, people, hundreds of millions of people annually. And here's the reason. What they discovered was a drug that only treated the symptoms of the disease but it did not get rid of the parasite. They invented a drug to handle only the symptoms, but the problem was unaffected. They were given an award to get rid of the symptoms, but they couldn't get rid of the problem. And when I read that, I thought, you know, how many times we want to get rid of the symptoms of our rebellion, but we don't want to get rid of the problem of our rebellion, our sin. We want to get rid of the symptoms, but we're not willing to get rid of the cause. And so our nation is crying, give us peace without repentance. Give us hope 
without God. Give us unity without Christ. And that will never happen. They want to get rid of the symptoms, but God wants to get rid of the problem. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins. And today he is telling all of us, we need to repent. For that person who's never given their life to Christ, you need to repent of your sins and give your life to Christ. Jesus died for you. He is the answer. He can save you. But you have to repent. And you may be watching online this morning, if you would like to give your life to Christ in a personal way, by admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died for you, just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day. You say, well, I'll just wait till next week. There's a date when it's too late. There's not a person in this room can guarantee they will be here next week. There's not a person in this room can guarantee they'll be here tonight. There's not a person that can guarantee anything. And God is saying, give your life to Christ. Or maybe you're a believer and there's something, maybe you're following, following an idol. Just like the people of Judah, they would go to the temple and they would worship God, and then they would go and they would worship their idols. Maybe you have an, have an idol in your life that you need to give up. Saying, God, I've been, I've been faking it. I come on Sunday morning and Sunday to, to worship you, but Monday through Saturday I'm worshiping another idol. God says, repent. Maybe you need to repent right now, privately or even publicly, and return to God. Would you stand and bow your heads? Father, we are reminded that Jeremiah for 40 years cried out repentance and the people wouldn't do it. And so, Father, we pray the next few moments during this invitation time. There's a person that needs to repent of their sins. Father, let today be the day. Father, that person who's never given their life to Christ, Father, let today be the day where they will embrace him, the one who died for them. The one who will get rid of their root problem, their sin problem. Let them give their life to you. Father, I pray for that, that believer who's trying to serve you and trying to serve another God. The God of success or the God of popularity. The God of pornography. The God of racism. The God of greed. Father, I pray they just turn over their gods and return to you. Father, speak to us in such a way that we will respond immediately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.